Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild podcast. So, sorry, I'm still getting used to the new name. I want to keep adding more more words. <laughs> so, uh, it's going to be a double comics episode again, because, once again, my schedule is all over the place. So, we're going to be covering a lot of things today. <clears throat> I'm going to have to speed through a couple of them, but that's a me problem, not yours. So, I do apologize for that if you were looking for a bit more in-depth uh, discussion in certain parts. <clears throat> so, let's see... Uh, Speeding ahead, what have I been watching? Well, uh, I finished Ultraman... Excuse me. No, I'm almost done with Ultraman X. <clears throat> that uh, uh, I'm really enjoying Ultraman X. It's I, I had difficulty at the very beginning because I thought for a second that it was a sequel to uh, Ginga uh, and Ginga S. But apparently, I'm just an idiot who didn't realize until the crossover happened that this is a separate timeline, separate, <clears throat> separate uh, reality from the one we're familiar with. Uh, I should have, my first guess of that should have been when they didn't know what an Ultraman was. <laughs> so that's on me. Uh, but to be fair though, that the whole Spark Doll thing was something that started in Ginga. So I, I kind of got the idea from there. That's where it happened. So <clears throat> that's that. Let's see, moving on. Uh, what else? Oh, I finished uh, Madaka Box, which I gotta say, was not expecting much out of it. I, it's not really my thing. I mean, I've talked before about how much I'm not really an etchy guy, and there were etchy moments in the series, and that's uh, <clears throat> what's what I'm looking for here. Um, I just lost my entire tra- train of thought. <laughs> so, uh, Madaka Box was actually a lot better than I would have given it credit for based solely on its appearance. <clears throat> And, I mean, the reason I got into it in the first place was uh, eventually there was a podcast I I followed that was going to cover it. So I debated because if they do that and I don't care about it, then I just really don't bother with it. But I decided, you know, I'll give it a chance. And I'm glad I did. It's a really fun world with a lot of really cool characters. Uh, I love Zenkichi and uh, uh, Madaka's relationship. Uh, their obvious love for one another. It's a shame that uh, the series isn't finished. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, so, maybe I'll get into the manga later on. Who knows? Just to read it. But it was a lot of fun. Now, I do believe that's about it for all of that fun stuff. We're going to be moving on to uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. This is issue 86, Beyond Chapter 12. This is written by uh, Zeb Webb. It is drawn by... Uh, Michael Dowling, Brian Valenza, and Joe Caramagna. So we start with uh, Ben in therapy with uh, Dr. Kafka, who asks uh, him, so, would you like to tell me what happened? We get earlier that day. Uh, Marcus is telling Ben about uh, this villain called Hellbomb, which, once again, we're adding a very new villain just to... I don't know. It's just, why are we introducing these people and then uh, giving them personalities and, you know reasons for why they're doing what they're doing, whatever. Uh, so Hellbomb is uh, holding a village, excuse me, a village, <clears throat> a place hostage because he's uh, got all these very flammable things around him. Ben then goes inside. Uh, ben starts beating the crap out of him because he's getting angrier and angrier uh, because of he's found out that Beyond is betraying him and his trust. So Dr. Kafka is like, what, why is this coming up now, this whole thing? His place in the company. And we look over to Janine, and we have the flashback to where he gives the fi- uh, file to her as he's, she is trying to figure out how she can 
find a way to get this to someone who can actually do something about it uh, in the uh, the midst of all of this. So then we move back to Ben and Kafka, who says, you've got to talk to me. He says, no. Well, why? Because you work for them, and I don't trust Beyond, not anymore. Well, can I tell you a secret? I don't trust him either. And we see that Maxine is looking in on this, unbeknownst to the both of them, which they should really, really know better. God, I hate... Sorry, I'm real down on this particular issue. <clears throat> in the fact that... They're just both acting like morons. They should know they're being watched. If Ben has just received all this information, go, well, surely... You know, that's exactly what they're doing, is watching my every move. That's why he was so careful in giving, you know, the flash drive uh, to Janine. So, of course, they're listening in on your therapy sessions. They don't care about you. And Dr. Kafka should know this as well. She's a very intelligent woman. <clears throat> so, uh, sorry, I'll just move on. It's, and, of course, Maxine says, oh, she actually believed that, that they wouldn't record anything. Says, I don't want to miss anything important. So we go over to Janine again. And she is being talked to by Maxine. Says, it's come to my attention. You'd like the privilege, privileges to leave the apartment unsupervised. <clears throat> I'm shocked I have to remind you that you were extricated from a correctional institution. It wouldn't be safe for either of us if you were allowed to prance down our halls on chaperone. I know this is disappointing, but you'll have to trust that Beyond knows best. So she reaches out for the flash drive. <clears throat> and we go back to Ben and Kafka. Ben says, and Otto had completely broken the encryption. My Beyond dossier was right there. Everything they think of me. A more malleable morality. Personality less defined. A hunger for meaning that makes them easily manipulated. Well, you must have felt very misunderstood. No, I felt like they understood me exactly. I've always felt, always known there's something wrong with me. Goes with the territory when, when, when you're a clone. He says, what? I, I'm not a clone. Ben, I, I've never told anyone. That's not true. You told them. After you were how you were resurrected and killed again and again by the jackal before taking on his mantle, bringing back, before bringing others back, others like me. Well, I don't remember any of that. No, you wouldn't. Beyond wanted their Spider-Man to be squeaky clean. The memories of the jackal's abuse made you more complicated. So they took them away. Wiped your mind clean. <clears throat> they took my memories? Yes, you asked them to. You wanted to be new. So Beyond removed you more problematic adventures from your temporal lobe. But I put an end to all that when I arrived. It was too dangerous. As clones, our life experiences are enmeshed in a scaffolding of implanted, memory, of implanted memories. Pull the wrong string and you risk losing all the implants, the basis of your personality. <clears throat> I'd be using this to try and stitch your mind back together, short the scaffolding beyond beyond. There are risks to disturbing your sense of reality. Aside from giving you an unflattering personality profile, it could be causing you to feel distrustful. That's why you lashed out during your mission. No, it's not. Oh? The drive out of stole. There was other stuff on it. Documents from hundreds of shell companies. Beyond is almost chaotically diversified. And that chaos is a cover. The superhero game isn't the only one they're playing. We're all in danger. We've got to protect ourselves. What are you saying? The UFOs weren't... And Maxine says, that's enough of that then. Activates this siren. It causes uh, Ben uh, this loud noise uh, to cause him harm. So he flips out of his chair, falls down to the ground. Kafka tries to get up. <clears throat> and uh, she realizes that she's been betrayed. Says, oh, you lied to me. He's like, oh, well, imagine that. He says, please don't do this. Don't do this to him again. Uh, so Marcus is going to go talk to Janine about something elsewhere. And... <clears throat> 
She then takes him hostage so that she can escape the building as they're about to scrub the memories of what happened from Otto from Bim's mind. <clears throat> and uh, more and more of his memories are being taken away from him. And he's having a total collapse of the mind. And that is the end of this issue. So this is a very frustrating issue. <laughs> and I'm trying not to get angry. But it requires people to be stupid who aren't stupid. It just makes me so upset that this is how they have to act. It's like when when Ben had taken down Dr. Otto, Octavius. He took down Dr. Octopus, took his arms off of him, and then just let him walk around the room as a very chubby, schlubby older man and just walk around him and then take what he wanted. <laughs> it was so stupid. <clears throat> and it requires idiocy on the part of your characters for your plot to happen. Therefore, it becomes an idiot plot. And... If this is what Zeb Wells is bringing to the table when, you know, he eventually takes over the head writer spot, I want none of that. I'm still going to cover it because it's Spider-Man, mind you. But <clears throat> it's just so frustrating. So let's move on to a better issue. Uh, this is issue 87. This is Beyond Chapter 13, written by Jeb McKay, drawn by Carlos Gomez, Brian Valenza, and Joe Caramagna. <clears throat> So we start with Black Cat meeting uh, Captain America and uh, Steve Rogers' persona at a diner. Uh, they're discussing what to do with Peter. She says, look, he's going to get back out there. Nothing's going to stop him. He's Spider-Man. But he's not ready yet. And if he's not ready when he gets back out there, he's going to get dead. So we make him ready because I don't want him to die, Capt. <clears throat> she says, then let's, let's get him ready. Say, I didn't know they served champagne here, which she had been drinking from. And she says, they don't. I brought it from home. <laughs> So we start on top of one of the buildings nearby. Uh, Peter is in civvies, while Captain America and Black Cat are suited up in their regular outfits. <clears throat> she says, class is in session, so listen up, baby. And Peter's narration begins, I've always been good at school, but this is an entire, entirely new faculty. And Black Cat says, so, I know you're dying to get back to it, back to the life, but you're not going to, not until you pass the test. I know Captain Felicia mean well. Okay, it feels weird doing this without the suit. But they don't know what it's like. I'm not meant to lie in a bed. I'm not meant to walk. You can't have the suit. But I want the suit. MJ gave me the suit, and I'm not giving it to you. What? Why not? Because right now, you're not Spider-Man. <clears throat> and she points to a Beyond poster uh, with Ben and says, Right now, he's Spider-Man. So what are you going to do about it? So Ben, uh, after the readjustment, is going through <clears throat> uh, a couple of What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Just uh, a couple of, of pictures showing off various foes, uh, one of which is Hobgoblin. And Venom, Vermin, Vulture. Are these in alphabetical, <laughs> alphabetical order? No, it's on random. But what are the odds, right? Uh, Dr. Octopus. We get day two of the training. <clears throat> Black Cat and Peter are swinging. He's in the Bagman outfit. Very nice callback there. He thinks, uh, maybe I'm not wearing the webs. The bug, white... The big white bug eyes and a spider on my chest, but I've got my web shooters, and the facades are streaking past me. And for a moment, that's enough. Look, not that I don't appreciate it, but I've been doing this since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, but you're not a kid. <clears throat> Anymore, spider. You're an adult man who's barely passed a potentially career-ending injury. Basics, fundamentals, you're swinging like Eddie Brock. No style, no finesse. You're just trying not to fall. Don't think that I can't tell you're the one missed thwip away from becoming street pizza. 
and then that moment ends, and I know she's right. Luckily, though, you've got me, because the black cat is the swingingest there is. You know, in day three, we get, Felicia's good, she's great, but at this, I've always been better. <clears throat> she dives through a local uh, restaurant, Peter flops, falls down in the midst of this. It says, uh, she says, you're going to lose me as they're racing. You still with me, Spider? He's on his feet, says, almost, almost got you. So okay, okay, sheesh, let's take a breather. Hang on, I think I have some water and orange slices here. He's like, I've, I've never seen you drink anything but champagne. <laughs> she hands him a bottle, says, yeah, well, Cat packed it. What was that out there, Spider? Uh, you've got to do better than that. Just cut me some slack, okay? Cut you some slack? When has Spider-Man ever been cut any slack? So you're at what, 75%? I've got news for you. Your 75% should be about equal to my 100%. Uh, I don't know if I trust that math. <laughs> you have superpowers. I don't. What did you think? Did you? What did you forget? Did you get? think I got bit by a radioactive Eartha kit? <laughs> you do, too, have superpowers. It was a whole thing, remember? Now, this is way back when, after, during the events of Secret Wars, uh, I think, yeah, uh, just right after that, uh, Black Cat was given bad luck powers by the Kingpin <clears throat> because she felt like she wasn't adequate enough with her own power set to help Spidey. She says, sure, a little bad luck here and there. Big deal, but you're Spider-Man. You can do whatever a spider can. You want to get out there again? Then shape up. He says, hey, what? You said I was Spider-Man. <laughs> they both smile. Okay, so maybe I did. I'm still not going to give you the suit, though. Oh, come on! <clears throat> so Dr. Kafka is talking with uh, Maxine Danger about what's going on, but Maxine, being evil and villainous, says, oh, well, clones don't have rights, by the way, so it's kind of like this nebulous field, so you can try and cause problems, but we could do something about that. You know, because she's evil. <laughs> All right, so on day five, <clears throat> Cap says, don't know why she can't just give you the mask. Peter says, that's what I'm saying. Get, hey there, hey, there's the fellas. Uh, Black Cat says that she has brought uh, Bruno and Doc, part of her uh, uh, crew that has helped her out in her series that unfortunately was canceled a while back. <clears throat> it was very good. Uh, so Bruno then talks to Cap, says, oh, I just want to say you were an inspiration to me when I was in the Army, sir. And Cap says, what was your MOS, soldier? Helicopter pilot, sir. I bet it was the Army's loss when you mustered out. And Bruno says, oh, not really. I can't remember what happened with Bruno. I think he kind of maybe would have dishonorably discharged or something like that. It's been a while since I've read that. Uh, so Black Cat says, Bruno, give the man some air. All right, Spider, we're going to see how well you work together here. Make sure Cap doesn't bonk you in the head again, which, of course, happened in, what was it, issue 84 of this series, where Cap thought normally he would dodge, but he got hit in the head. And Peter's also wearing a shirt that says, I'm not Daredevil. <laughs> He's asking, okay, so what are we doing? And he looks at Cap and says, oh, right. And Black Cat says, as they're speeding off, you just have to catch the crooks, boys, because we just robbed this place. Here we go. <laughs> so they, they speed away uh, as Cap and Spider-Man go after them. We get Ben, once again in therapy, says, Shriek, Rhino, Shocker, Craven, Lizard, Carrion. And on day six, uh, Cap and Peter are sparring. Uh, but Cap is still... You know, better than him at the moment because Peter's holding back. He says, as fast as you can go right now. You're used to being Spider-Man, son. You're not there yet, but we'll get you there. I know every one of my, everyone's sick of my war stories by now, which uh, definitely uh, poking fun. And like every time Cap has some in inspirational moment in comics, he just has to remember, well, one time in uh, uh, Iwo Jima in 1945, this happened. 
So he says, but I'll tell you this. I saw a lot of young men then who weren't ready and who paid the price for it because they didn't have an option. They were needed and they answered the call. And it didn't matter if they weren't ready. But you've got the time and you've got the coaches. So hit me, soldier. And it better be like you mean it because I'm not about to make it easy for you. So uh, Ben is going through therapy again. Uh, this is physical therapy at this point. And uh, the doctor in charge says, like you said the other day, with great power there must also come. And she stops. And then says, I don't get it. With great power there must also come what? Which, uh, huge deal. He doesn't remember that phrase. <clears throat> so Peter is swinging away at the night, uh, thinking, I've always been good at school. Test exams, whatever. It's always been my thing. But this one's killing me. I feel my ligaments creaking, my joints shuddering, my heart hammering. I'm not ready. But I have to be if I want to be Spider-Man. Two burglars, no problem. No problem for Spider-Man. No problem. As he gets punched by Black Cat and then uh, taken from behind by Cap. Says, that was a good one, but you're not getting out of this one. Peter says, okay, okay, uncle. And Cap says, take a minute, son. We'll run it again when you're ready. I can see it on their faces. They're disappointed. Second-guessing themselves and me. I should have done better. I have to be better. I have to do better. Let's never give up. I'm good. Let's go again. Because I'm Spider-Man. Then we go with the epilogue. <laughs> the Mary Jane dressed up in a black cat outfit, which we'll discuss in the next comic after this. Looking quite well, I must say. She says, make sure to dry clean the costume. She says, God, Felicia Hardy. What up? And she opens up the door to a room, says, ah, what up? And we get, hey, MJ, we need to talk. Also, what are you wearing? As Janine is there to give her the drive. So this is, a, in direct contrast to last issue, a really good issue. We get a good moment for Ben <clears throat> as he's struggling to reassemble his memories and losing the ability to remember with great power and must also come great responsibility. The core belief of Spider-Man, a huge deal. And then with Spider-Man, obviously Cap and Felicia both, both care about him a lot. And I've always left Cap as mentor to Spider-Man, even if Spider-Man would murder him in a direct fight. But it's, it's that appreciation Peter has for him because he grew up like respecting Cap and uh, he used to have the figures and the, the cards and the collectibles. And now he gets to look up to this man who's larger than life. But at the same time, Peter is stronger than him in every way. But he still respects him and he still loves him. And he still seeks out his advice. And then Felicia being that very, in, in her own way, very caring and supportive of Peter. Wanting him to be at his best because she knows he's stupid and reckless. And just like what happened in issue 84, he's going to do something incredibly stupid and just get out there because he can't resist helping people. So, great issue overall. I mean, I'd probably give it an A-plus if I did a ranking system. <laughs> but we'll move on from there to uh, Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond, issue one. Which, by the way, this should be an ongoing series with how great it is. This is written by Jet McKay, drawn by Carlos Villa, uh, Eric Arciniega, and Travis Lanham. So we start with the Black Cat going to visit uh, Peter in the hospital with MJ. But as she does so, we get a voice saying, come in, Felicia. Or should I say, Black Cat. <clears throat> and Felicia says, you got a name, dead man? Uh, he says, we're old friends, Felicia. Though maybe you don't recognize me in my reduced circumstances. Parker Robbins, The Hood. And he points a gun at her, says, you sure? I'm sure you heard I, that I lost something a little while ago. Something near and dear to me. Well, I got to thinking, who's got the rep? The rep that says, whatever you want, she can get it for you. Why, the Black Cat, of course. And when I found out the black cat was visiting some, visiting some washed-up photographer in the hospital, some nobody she obviously cared for, I got to thinking more. You're going to get me my hood back, black cat, and you're going to do it by sunup, 
or I put a bullet in this guy's brain pan. Then I put a second one through moderately famous actress Mary Jane Watson's head. You get me? Yeah, okay, I, you got it, Robbins. One thing, though, I need the girl. What? What? Why? She's in my crew, you creep. I need her for the job. <clears throat> okay, but don't screw me on this, Felicia. Your little friend over here is betting his life that you won't. MJ says, two things. We'll get your hood or whatever, but you don't put your gun at him or we'll know. Oh, yeah? How? Magic, psychic powers, mutant abilities, take your pick. It doesn't matter. And he, uh, I almost said sheathed the gun. <laughs> not quite the same thing. Uh, holsters the gun. Eh, sure, why not? I can afford to be gracious. Sun up, black cat, and don't even think about calling for help. I have literally nothing else to lose. So I leave, and it's like, she's in the crew. Felicia says, well, how the hell else was I going to get you out of there? I don't like leaving the hood with Spider, but leaving you there, he'd never forgive me. And what was without that gun-pointing stuff? <clears throat> that creep points a gun at Peter, and his spider sense goes off. He'll pop right out of bed before he's even awake. And he's not in any shape to deal with that right now. Ah, right. And Felicia in narration says, she doesn't say it. Of course she doesn't. She's perfect, after all. MJ asks, oh, what's, what's the plan? The plan is for you to go somewhere safe and lay low until I sort all this out. She doesn't say it. She doesn't say that this is my fault. I say, look, Red, I love the energy. Real great stuff, but I'm a professional, and you're an actress. You're not really in the crew. MJ says, there's a crazy guy in there with a gun on Peter. Do you really think I'm going to lay low? Do you really have the time to argue with me? So, yeah, I think I am in the crew. Fine, have it your way, Red, but you better not slow me down. And just yay. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> uh, so we get narration from Felicia. Says, so spoilers, the Hood got in with Hawkeye a little while ago. And the Hood lost everything. Uh, he had previously gotten power from the Hood, which was connected to Dormammu. But then he got the Noin Stones from Loki, I believe. And he lost those as well. He tried to go through the Infinity Gauntlet at one point in time. But now we see that one of the people he was dealing with was Count Lutino Nefaria. Not a guy you want to mess with, and not a guy you want to bug on movie night. So Felicia says, Hiya, Count. Did I miss the trailers? He says, Miss Hardy, pray tell what could possibly possess you to interrupt my sole respite from the stressful life of a criminal overlord. Well, I apologize for interrupting your movie, Count, but I'm up against a wall here and running out of time. I need to know how you help Hawkeye beat the hood. My help cost Clinton Barton three million dollars. Do you have three million dollars with you? Well, I can get it for you if that's what you want. It'll take me a few days, though. A week, maybe. Then come and see me when you have it, and make an appointment. I need to know tonight. Well, how unfortunate for you, then. Goodbye, Miss Hardy. Hey, are you watching Dig That Crazy Grave? As MJ appears. Isn't Sonny DePerna great in it? And Nefaria gets all Star Trek. Is that Mary Jane Watson? THE Mary Jane Watson, and he goes to kiss her hand, and Bowstroy says, Miss Watson, an absolute pleasure. You worked with the Perna and up and smoked down in flames. Sad about the premiere, by the way. This was one of the things that got interrupted by Sinister War, uh, which was near the end of Spencer's run. And he claps his hands, Minions, a seat for Miss Watson. Sonny DePerna is my favorite actor, Miss Watson. He is a genius, an artist, a treasure. Please, my dear, you must tell me about him. So he goes over uh, with her to talk about everything while they are going after people like the Rhino. Uh, <clears throat> uh, after they get the information from him, they go after you know, people like the Rhino, uh, the Enforcers, Armadillo, I think. Yeah, the Shocker. <laughs> Mary Jane has beaten him up with a baseball bat, just like she did the Chameleon a while back. And MJ asks later on, two hours to sun up, so who's left? And Felicia says, the worst one. Tombstone. And Tombstone we can't charm, can't con, can't beat down. Tombstone we have to rob. 
Well, good thing we have the best thief in town on our side. You are the best thief in town, right? Bite your tongue. Of course I am. But here's the thing. Tombstone's smarter than all those idiots put together. He's got his ear to the streets always. The way we've been tearing through the underworld tonight, he's going to put two and two together. He's going to know that we're coming for him, and he'll be waiting. We see him uh, sharpening up a blade. And Felicia says, so, you ready to suit up, Red? And we see what appears to be the black cat looking up and taking out the vault. But Tombstone appears and says, you after my pet demon, little kitty. I knew it would come in handy eventually, but I never thought it would deliver the black cat right to me. Uh, they tell me there's more than one way to skin a cat. Why don't you and I find out together? She says, love to, baby, but I'm on a timeline and you're too slow. I already ripped you off. But how? No one's that good. That's the thing, Tombstone. The black cat is that good as she repels downward, races to the bottom. So Tombstone runs after her. And we get some narration. A lot of people make fun of the mask. But the truth is, people are lazy. Our brains work in shorthand. We see something we recognize and our brains lock onto that detail. And everything else, we fill in the blanks with what we expect. You're in a high-stress situation and you see white hair, a chic cat suit, and that little mask. Your brain tells you that's the black cat. No matter all the parts that don't match up. And that's without bringing in someone who makes a living being other people. After all, she's a professional. And so the Oscar for Best Performance in a Criminal Endeavor goes to Mary Jane Watson, who takes off her uh, white wig. And we get 90 minutes to set up. So they have the demon there. And they ask him, what's it going to take for you to play ball? He says, I thought you'd never ask. And it looks really creepy. So I didn't, I didn't read the Hawkeye special. So I can't really tell you what happened there. But it seems like it was very fun if this was was involved so they go back to the hospital still both of them dressed up like the black cat but felicia has the hood on and the hood tells her to take that off and he asks her well how do you uh we busted our butts all night so there was that but really robin this is all just down to wanting you can get anything in this world if you know what someone wants and if, if you can get it for them you wanted your hood back. Nefari wanted hot Hollywood goss. Tombstone wanted to skim me life so bad he took his eye off the prize. Even the bag demon, it wanted something too. And as he puts the hood on, it says, wait, this is wrong. After they ate your hood, it got a taste for the owner. It wanted the complete set. Like I said, Robbins, you get someone what they want. You get what you want. And I wanted you out of my hair as the bag then eats him. And MJ goes to Peter's side. And how did he sleep through all that? Please, Captain America and I have been putting him through the ringer. Spider waking up on his own was the least of my worries. And he wakes up and says, huh, what? He sees MJ and Black Cat, both staring at him lovingly. Says, oh, okay. It's this dream again. Be gentle, please. <laughs> I, I, uh, who among us has not wanted that at some point in time? So Felicia and MJ kind of get that look of, oh, really? And then they leave. And Felicia says, you did good, Red. Well. Shut it. And we get that really memeable line that everyone's been quoting about, you know, the shape of her butt. And MJ says, I can't believe some of the stuff we got up to tonight. I almost feel bad for what we did at the Shocker. Don't. Everyone does that to the Shocker. That's what he's for. <laughs> I'll admit it. It was kind of fun being the bad girl for a night. And Felicia gets a look on her face. MJ asks, Felicia, are you okay? The bad girl. I hate that that's what I am in his life, his history. I'm not jealous of you. I'm not trying to get him back. But our time together was important to me. It was part of what made me who I am. He was the first man I ever loved. But from the outside, I'm the bad girl. The distraction until the good girl wins in the end. The perfect one. It sucks. And MJ laughs. Says, what, what the hell are you laughing at? Oh, God, it's just... I know exactly how you feel. I was the bad girl first. I was the party girl. 
always getting into trouble somewhere. And then there was Gwen Stacy, and she was perfect. I'm not exaggerating, she was. Have you ever had to live up to the memory of a dead girl? You're still important to him, Felicia. Hell, you're important to me. I wouldn't have put my life in your hands tonight if you weren't. You're not a footnote in anyone's life. And Felicia kind of puts a, a head on her shoulder and says, Thanks. You are perfect, aren't you? And Jay says, Yep, and don't you forget it. God, how does that nerd keep pulling in babes like us? I think it's because he keeps getting beat up all the time, like a pity thing. And they both share a laugh. What a tremendous issue. Except I, I want an MJ and Black Cat like buddy cop story now. <laughs> well, buddy thief story right now. They just play off of each other so well. And Jet McKay, uh, I can't remember what else he has done before, but this, if he keeps this, like, why is he not writing the main book? Because, I mean, he's gotten every single one of these characters down pat. Their motivations, like, their strengths, their weaknesses, their histories. Like, this was such a loving picture of MJ and Felicia's you know, friendship, and I do love it. I've said it before, I'll say it again. When writers remember that they don't hate each other. I don't think they ever hated each other before, but there was a definitely distrust between the two of them before that was mended over the years to where they became friendly. And if they keeps it up, they're going to be friends. And it's just amazing, uh, no pun intended, that they were able to pull it off like this. So hats off to McKay there. This was a really fun issue. Uh... I cannot believe just how great this is. So we'll move on from there to Miles Morales, issue 34. Uh, this is written by Saladin Ahmed. This is uh, drawn by Michelle Ban, uh, as well as uh, Eric Arseniega, uh, excuse me, no, wrong one, uh, Luigi Zagaria, Elisabetta D'Amico, David Curiel, and Corey Petit. So we start with Shifton Miles, ready to go inside the assessor's place. Uh, Miles kicks down the door, assessor time to, huh? Nobody home? The door's fake. Where? Uh, Shift breaks the door, and they find that they're in the midst of uh, this giant facility where it's all over the place, very M.C. Escher-esque. They take down a bunch of robots again, realizing that the assessor is watching them. So they're trying different doors, but they find the hallway repeating over and over again. Shift breaks down more and more doors, and Miles says, You're really good. You are really good at making doors. It's so dark in here. Stay close, man. Glurp. Light up ahead. Wonder if... Ah, uh, this is a trap, right? <laughs> As they see this giant dome, uh, glass fortress it says so far. So uh, their spider sense goes off. They're both attacked from all sides. Kind of danger room esque in this moment. Uh, and Miles says it's too much. He's overwhelming our spider senses. Can't dodge all the. He gets hit. Uh, Shift gets hit, but they both manage to escape. So, oh, made it. Now to find huh? Door Z. Chacho, who labels these things? Don't they? Wait. His spider sense go off, goes off again. It's a U. As we see quantum appear. Now, I'm not 100%, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, up to date with Quantum. Uh, but apparently he's empowered by one of the Infinity Stones, or, or gems. Uh, sorry, the, the MC, MCU kind of messes with my, uh, they're supposed to be the gems, right? They made them the stones in the movie, for whatever reason. And Miles says, you're the one who snatched me for that sicko. He never would have gotten his hands on me without you. I'm going to kill you. Oh, no. That's bad. Uh, Quantum manages to get away, kind of like to spot in the essence, like creating portals around Miles. Uh, Miles activates one of his Venom Blasts, it misses, but then the next one connects, he hits him in the head. Uh, Quantum then runs away, says, you can't hide, Quantum. He ran down this way, he's not teleporting, gotta be at the end of his rope. But then Shift grabs Miles by the hand, says, glurp. Well, I know, I'm hurt too, but we have to keep after him, he'll lead us to... 
and we get Assessor's Report, Subject 0042, an asset shift, each display extraordinary physical endurance, even greater than what has been displayed before. And then he played journal, recordings, journals, of everything he did to us. I've had enough telepaths in my head to know what it feels like. It wasn't just videos or screens. He had some sort of psychic projector that made us re-feel the pain. Part of me knew it wasn't real, but that didn't make it hurt any less. Didn't make it any less scary. And that was the point, to make us feel hurt again, afraid again, alone. But then I saw Shift, hurting even worse than I was, and I reminded both of us out loud, Shift, you're not here alone. You're here with your brother. And they stand up, he says, glurp. So you see this chump? Just because you hurt us before doesn't mean you get to keep hurting us. See, we talk to each other. Those of us you hurt, that makes it hurt less. It reminds us that we can fight. We're not scared of you anymore. So get out here and let's do this. We get Assessor's Supplementary Report. Service terms have been rendered void. Subject 0042, an asset shift. Access company facilities without authorizations. They will be liquidated immediately. And that is the end of the issue. So, um, I've seen a lot of people that don't really like the Assessor. And I get some of where they're coming from. He is a little vague in like who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. I would like him to be fleshed out more. But I, I've, I have enjoyed immensely the a struggle Miles has had to go through with the Assessor. And I even enjoyed that uh, Iron Man annual where he went after him too. So this has been a lot of fun. Miles, Miles just keeps growing even better and better as a character for me. And I'm looking forward to what the future holds for him. But enough of that. We'll go to Venom. This is issue four. Uh, Codex. This is written by Ram V, drawn by Brian Hitch, Andrew Curry, uh, Alex Sinclair, and Clayton Coles. So we start with the Venom symbiote uh, being attacked by uh, Spearhead, which was... Uh, oh, gosh. What is his name? What is his name? Who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? Uh, was it... Carlton Drake? Was that his name? If I'm remembering... Ah, who knows at this point. We'll just say it's Carlton Drake, the uh, soldier. Uh, and he managed to disrupt the symbiote for a bit. Uh, Dylan is still undergoing uh, physical stress from being tested. Liz Allen is looking at him as well. <clears throat> but she takes some time away to herself says, What have you gotten yourself into, Liz? We go back to this uh, symbiote and Spearhead. The symbiote's asking, telling, saying, Must find Dylan. And Spearhead says, I don't see it. My employer thinks you're some great enigma, some mythical chimera to be marveled at. He wants to poke holes and prod and dissect, but I just don't see it. Still, orders are orders. The spear tip has resonant nanomaterial, self-healing, self-assembling molecules that vibrate with the spear, acting like a tuning fork. That's all it took on my command. They'll disrupt your ability to morph. You can't even take shape now. That thing you said earlier about breaking me? It's true. I know my limitations. I learned from them. I know I'm just a man with an expensive suit, but you, do you even know what you are without your host? As the symbiote tries to escape, gets onto a passing truck. And Dylan at the host, uh, the examination room says, thinking, Dad, I'm lost, in pain and afraid. When times were rough, I knew you'd come out fighting for the both of us. It was the thing I held on to. If you're still out there, Eddie Brock, I could use a little help. As the other symbiotes that they are looking for then uh, rush out of their containment to go to him. And Eddie then appears, says, Listen to me, Dylan. I can't hold this form for very long. Are you really here? Uh, I am, and I'm not. You're alive? Yes, but not yet. Listen to me, kiddo. Did you contact Archer? Does she know where you are? Archer and the Simi are the only ones you can trust. Everything's changed. None of the rules apply anymore. Dylan says, Dad, Archer betrayed me, and bonding with the Simi is what got me here in the first place. Who the hell am I supposed to believe? This half 
informed thing here now, or a bat I saw blown up outside a diner, or the one who showed up at our home while another called me on the phone. Wait, bonding with Venom did this? There was another me? I'm out of time, son, but I can fix this. I can fix all this. Kang was wrong. You have to figure out on, on your own who your friends are. But I can tell you that the symbiote will come for you. And says, Dad, wait. As long as there is still life in that Clintar flesh, Venom will find you. The symbiote may be a lot of unsavory things, villain. Uh, villain. Dylan. But Venom will never let you down. How, oh, Dad? How do you know that? Because I know that symbiote better than it knows itself. And there in that blackness is a part of me that will never leave your side because we are Venom. Dylan then escapes, uh, taking Sleeper with him, then bonds with the uh, Venom symbiote once more. As we flash over to Meridius, uh, talking to... I should know these names by now. I don't know, no. Carlton Drake is this guy. Mr. Carson was the guy of the mercenary guy, so my bad. He's talking to Carlton Drake about everything. He says, you were once a man whose ambition left you a mangled creature less than human. I restored you to what you are now. Yours is not the doubt or trust. You are just as Liz is, a small part of inevitability. You will continue to push the symbiote beyond its limits, and Liz will continue to push the boy behind his, and I, I will play my part. Scare the boy a little for me, will you? Bedlam, as he creates a symbiote that we saw in the first issue. This massive, hulking, uh, almost lizard-like figure. Uh, well, uh, kind of... Dinosaur shark, we'll say. And that is the end of the issue. So I sped through that. Uh, I'm on the fence with Venom right now. I don't know if I want to keep covering it. I mean, there's definitely some enjoyable parts of it, but it's a slog to actually discuss and talk about. So if I make a decision on that, I will let you know. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will move on from there, I say, using the English language correctly, instead of stuttering. Uh, we will move on to issue 52 of The Avengers, uh, The Death Hunters Part 2. Where is she who has been born with the brand of the stars? This is written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Juan Fregari, uh, David Curiel, and Corey Petit. So we start with a really nice scene of Cap at a funeral for a former soldier that he knew in World War II. Um... She's, uh, she's talking to him in flashback. says, I wanted to have pallbearers for him, men in uniform, you know. But all the other soldiers, all his old friends, they're all gone. He says, not all of them. Not all of them, ma'am. Don't you worry about the pallbearers. And Starbrand and Captain Marvel watching this. It's like, well, I don't know this guy. And Captain Marvel says, well, it doesn't matter. But we know that one. And he asks us to come. As Cap is saluting the, <clears throat> the casket. And when Captain America asks if you'll be somewhere, yes or no aren't answers you even consider. What time, sir? That's the answer. <laughs> what time can we get out of here? I thought you'd be happy to get out of Avengers Mountain for a change, Brandy. I mean, you haven't been out in the world since we were on the run from Conchu, and you were still a baby then. Or is there maybe something you'd like to tell me? So we get week, uh, weeks earlier, uh, the Star Brand was attacking people off-world, uh, excuse me, on Earth, protecting them from aliens, since that's what I was born to do. So I don't think you really want to hear what I'd like to tell you, Miss Danvers. Uh, you Cree-loving half-breed, which is a terrible development in Captain Marvel's story, and one of the reasons why I'm not covering her comic right now, until that, get that gets retconned away. And Cap Captain Marvel says, Simmer down, half-pint. The Avengers were changing your diapers up until a couple of weeks ago, and I'm more than capable of still treating you like a baby if I need to. Cosmic superpowers are not. So I'd maybe watch my smart little mouth if I were... And Cap diffuses it says, You made it great. Thank you both for coming. I had to be in town to pay my respects. So I thought it was about time we did this. We should get moving. We've got a lot to see. 
And you move over to Strawberry Hill in Kansas City, Kansas. And he sa uh, she says, at this very rundown house, this is a lot to see. It's for you, Brandy, yes. Well, I don't smell a single alien in this soul-stinking neighborhood. So if I had a Spartax Krugerang for every ounce of interest I've gotten of whatever the crap you brought me out here to see, Cap, I'd have exactly zero Krugerangs. This was your mother's house. My mother? Suzanne Selby. Her family came here from Serbia in 1902 to work the stockyards and meatpacking houses across the river. Suzanne was born in this house just like her mother before her. This was where she lived up until she lost her job and did what lots of desperate people do in that situation. She fled across the border, searching for a better life. In this case, the, the galactic border of the Shi'ar Imperium. Imperial Border Patrol picked her up as an undocumented immigrant. Uh, ended up sending her to Raven Star Prison even though she was pregnant. That's where we found her. That's where she died as a star brand, as a mother doing whatever she could to protect her child. This happened in Avengers 30. To protect you. But why did you bring me here? Brandy, we've known, we know you've been sneaking out of the mountain to hunt down alien insurgents across the Earth, which stops as of now. And Captain Marvel says, This star brand, it makes its wielder into a weapon, maybe the most powerful super, uh, space cannon on the planet. We just want to make sure, kid, that brand or no brand, deep down, you know who you really are. She says, Can we go inside? I'd like to hold something she touched. Well, of course we can, kid. That's why we're... Here we get some Deathlocks appearing. And they go to protect Brandy, but say, no, no, we're here for, to help you. And we have come here in the most dire of days, seeking the greatest Avenger of this era. <laughs> My gosh, here comes this reveal. Uh, well, if what you say is true, Cap says, we'll both help to... Apologies, Captains. We were not referring to either of you. We have crossed a thousand universes, following stars they bow down. The star of all stars, the mighty star brand, holy star child, the great multiversal Polaris, whose sunlight shines in all corners of creation. We who serve the god quarry, even in death, beseech you. We ask for sanctuary from those who would see our warning. Cries go unheard from the ravages, ravagers of universes, from the death hunters. <laughs> so, star brand is the Avengers' pride. Starbrand, who, by the way, has only been in the Avengers, uh, there was one in, what was it, the Jonathan Hickman run, and now. That's the greatest Avenger. You know, not not Cap, not Iron Man, or Thor, <laughs> or any, literally anyone else. It's the Starbrand. Sure, I believe that, Aaron. Whatever. As we see, uh, a Black Venom and Ghost Goblin attacking them as they're part of the assault as well while uh, Thor, Iron Man, and Echo are dealing with them on the other ones on Asgard. So Ghost Goblin says, Ha! That's at least a thousand Deathlocks sent to hell by me and my noggin bombs. You'll need a dozen more universes to ever hope to catch up, Scully. He says, You murder your way, Ghost Goblin. I'll murder mine as he kills one of the Deathlocks with the symbiote. Uh, Captain Marvel takes down Ghost Goblin from his glider and says, Ah, oh, hello, Miss Marvel, or Captain Marvel, or Major Marvel, whatever Marvel you call yourself in this universe. Aren't you going to ask me who I am? He says, Nope. You told me all I needed to know when you tried to kill my friends. And Cap is throwing a shield at uh, Black Skull, or Black Venom, or... No, no, it's Black Skull, Black Skull. Uh, Eddie Brock, is that you? What in God's name have you done to yourself now? Oh, Rogers, as pathetically slow-witted as ever. From Earth to Earth, these little reunions of ours are always so awkward, like pumping into an old flame from whom the fires of passion have long since fizzled. What I'm trying to say is I'm gro I've grown bored of killing you, Captain America, which is quite the accomplishment, by the way, for, you know, variant or not. 
but I suppose I can make one last exception, for old time's sake, as he moves away part of the symbiote to reveal his face, Cap says, a red skull, the black skull, actually, from an earth, and Devlock says, from an earth where the overlord of Hydra grafted an alien symbiote onto his Nazi flesh. Hair Venom of the Masters of Evil, stayed but shoot at him. Captain Rogers, no matter the universe, it's always an honor to fight by your side, sir. Well, it doesn't matter if he's from another earth. The red skull is the red skull. T'Challa, we need the Avengers in Kansas City. Avengers Mountain, come in. Uh, but he's not getting anything from them. Animus uh Carol is hit by the Ghost Goblin. And Deathlock says, Namor's and Jane Foster's? Open your eyes, you deluded Deathlocks. Look at how many universes have already been rewritten. How many phoenixes and ghost riders and gods have been erased from existence. This earth is a disaster that can't even save itself, let alone any of us. But another says, perhaps you should open your own eyes, friend Deathlock. You ask, why this reality? The answer is clear. Look to the dawn. Here it comes now. As a star brand has now appeared, and she uh, uses part of her flames to attack uh, Black Skull, uh, temporarily removing the symbiote from him, and then she beats up Ghost Goblin as well, who says, a star brand in this era? And Black Skull says, their kind was never meant to last. They're all supposed to be long burned out by now. Guess this kid's the last of her species and doesn't even know it. Yes, well, why don't you go tell her that? And Cap says, Starbrand, stand down. I'm not a child. You heard those dead cyborg guys. I'm the star child. I'm as old as the first sunrise and stuff. Captain Marvel says, if you want to help, then get that Deathlock to safety. He's the last one left. Black Skull says, I hate Starbrands. How many writer skulls do you have in that sack of yours, Osborn? Enough to blow the whole continent to hell. You ever take a country or two? Then dump them all. Let us, let us rejoin the others. And then jumps off. Uh, he's been using as his pumpkin bombs the skulls of uh, ghost riders he's killed. And Captain Marvel says, This time I'm jumping on the grenade, Steve. I'll fly them as high as I can before they blow. She grabs them all. Uh, look after the kid. But Starbrand interrupts, says, The kid can look after herself. What are you doing? I'm doing what you Avengers asked me to do. I'm being my mother's child. And she blasts them all into space. Captain says, I see her. She's alive. All those skulls. Good God, how powerful is this kid? And Starbrand says, Spider not seeing the Ghost Rider got away, but I can already smell more trouble. An alien is attacking Avengers Mountain as we... What? What? What's everyone staring at? You act like you've never seen a little girl with a Starbrand before, as she has grown up to... a uh, young adult form? Teenager form? And that is the end of the issue. So despite my gripes about the Starbrand thing, uh, if they're going to include her, you know, this is a good way to do so. I mean, uh, Cap being Cap being the mentor, uh, I praised him for doing it in Spider-Man, I praised him for doing him in the Avengers, looking after someone, recognizing, like, look, I see these instincts you have in you, but let's actually use them correctly. Let me help you remember where you come from so we can do this right. Excellent. Love it. Every bit of it. Uh, but this whole, you know, alternate universe Masters of Evil thing, I mean, yeah, sure. I'll go with it. But enough of that. We are going to move on to Iron Man. I believe this is issue uh, 16. Yeah, issue 16. Big Wheel Keeps on Turning. Which <laughs> is a great name for this one. Uh, this is written by Christopher Cantwell, drawn by Julius Oda, Frank Darmada, and Joe Caramagna. So we see uh, the Space Buddies are now uh, eating lunch uh, with the new additions of the, the original Human Torch and the lack of Ben Riley, 
So uh, War Machine is talking to them, and Rhodey says, I've known Tony Stark a long time, and I love him. He's like family to me at this point. So believe me when I say that his getting cosmic powers could end up being the worst thing imaginable, both for him and for all of existence. Hellcat says, there's certainly a reason to worry. Tony has a good soul, one of the most enduring I've ever encountered, and he has the best of intentions. And, uh, is it Jim? Oh, gosh. Hammond? Hammond. Says, uh, but you know what they say about the road to hell? And Rhodey says, have you been able to reach him telepathically? Not since Ta, too. I know he had his hands full with Korvac, wherever they ended up, but I don't sense either of them now. I think Tony is shutting me out. That worries me. Uh, Frogman says, we're going to need help. But the space friends are down Halcyon, are down Halcyon because of his math finals, plus Misty Knight and the Scarlet Spider. Oh, that's right; those are the other two who weren't there. And Gargoyle says, "But good for old Ben Riley, though, eh? Getting to play Spider-Man once again—that's nice." Yeah, that guy needed to win. <laughs> if only you knew what was happening to him and how poorly he was being written, guys. It's not Ben's fault. There are no bad characters; you're only bad writers. That's my motto. And. uh... Rhodey says, you're right, about support, Eugene. It's why I went to the Avengers when I, we got them back and put them on alert. What do they say? Kept aside for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, seems about right. And uh, the Human Torch asks, what about Reed Richards? He has a personal history with the Power Cosmic, or at least some deeper understanding of it. I say we go big here. Tell the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Nova Corps, Silver Surfer, my grandma, everybody. Truth is, Tony could be anywhere in the universe right now, finger-painting with the reality, and there's this rumbling... As he has appeared over them, or he could be hovering over Washington Square Park. <laughs> Tony says, don't be afraid. Shifts down in size to be more like them. Uh, it's this guy. It's a long time to see. I take your point, Rudy. He had said he was making people afraid. How about this? Better? I gotta say, it's really great to see my space friends again. Glad you made it back. Tony, we need to talk. And Thor says, stand back, Cosmic One, as he has appeared with the Avengers and Fantastic Four. Are ye friend or foe? And Cap says, Tony, it's good to see you. You look, uh, Captain Marvel says, shiny. I come in peace, everybody. Let's all chill out. Reed asks, where's Korvac? Is he still a threat? Korvac is taken care of. Hellcat asks, what, what does that mean? Did you kill him? No, but he's not going anywhere for a long time. Cap asks, what about you? Are you a threat? Well, that sounds awfully loaded, Steve. I'm very concerned, Tony. Can you relax? We've all dealt with gods before. Look at Thor. It's the same vibe. Verily, it is not. I mean, you're right. The power cosmic is a bit different. I can do pretty much anything. Cap asks, so what are you going to do? Okay, well, Korvac was right in wanting harmony, but wrong about how to get there. He believed that he alone knew best. He put himself and his opinions above others. Sound familiar? See, you didn't expect any introspection to survive my transmorgification, did you? We're listening, Tony. Korvac was wrong to hoard his intellect, wrong to want to take away free will from everyone else. I had the Infinity Gems once, but I wasn't going to force anything with them. I won't now either. But then, how does one make something harmonious while preserving the individual? Well, I looked at my own gifts. I'm talking to things I had before these new powers. I thought of solutions and ideas I've had in the past that have gone awry, and I realized something. They didn't work because they were trapped in here. But now what's in here doesn't have to be trapped inside. It can be shared as a gift. Your head, the thing asks, pointing to his. This is my mind, Benny boy. Cap says, Tony, can we just hold on a second? Wait, Steve, let me finish. I'm worried we might be getting ahead of our skis here. Steve, let me just wrap this up. All I'm saying is, Steve, can I just finish, please, as he grows in size again? My gift is now in all of you. And Carol asks, what, what gift? It's my intellect, Carol, my level of aptitude. It's yours. Congratulations, you're now all Stark-level geniuses. <laughs> 
It's too late. It's done. You're all, all now as brilliant as I am, and so is every living person in the city. I figured we'd start with a small sample size and see how it goes. I don't want to get too far out ahead of my skis. Right, Steve? And this woman asks, uh, reads like, hey, wait, we're all... I, Reed, do you feel different? <laughs> and a line of the, the comic is, uh, I actually think I just became dumber. <laughs> Which, I know people were complaining about that, not sounding like a Reed line, but if his mind is being affected by, you know, uh, Tony's intellect, well, of course, he's going to say something that Tony would say. Doesn't that make sense to you? That makes sense to me. So we see various issues over the city uh, with people starting to talk, you know, with, uh, what's it, uh, Sesquil... Sesquipedalian loquaciousness. Uh, one of these is indeed a Big Wheel, who last we saw him, well, last apparently everyone else saw him because I didn't read this, was in Deadpool and the Mercs for Money 4, where he had been injured. He then leaves everything behind as Tony and Hellcat were talking with one another, but they see him above him. He says, Yes, it's working. It's a Big Wheel. Big who? He's doing something to the traffic below. I've done it. Haha, <laughs> I've done it. And go to arrest him. So since Big Wheel typically a technologically organized maniac wielding selenium encoded infrared signal beams. No, usually he's just a guy in a big wheel. Uh, he said, Big Wheel says, don't interfere with this. I'm warning you, it's too great a quest. Iron Man appears in front of him with Hellcat, says, you're right, though. Those laser pulses are capable of reprogramming mechanical systems at a quantum rate. He sees in control of every vehicle in the city. And Hellcat says that he needs to knock it off. Look, buddy, I know you're trying to kick the electrons of these vehicles' computers into malleable pseudo-spins. Yes, molecular valleytronics on a massive scale. And he shoots it with a gun, uh, a ray gun of some sort he seems to have developed. But then Tony grows in size again, says, that's enough, as he shoots out two beams from his eyes that puts him in force fields. And he says, no, my big wheel. <laughs> and Hawkeye says, uh, Tony, wait, I can see his thoughts. I know what he's trying to do. You're ordering the vehicles into a supercomputed algorithm, one your wheel CPU is capable of processing. Yes, exactly. You saw how to solve traffic jams once and for all with quantum physics. Yep, amazing, huh? And Tony then gets out of his Iron Man suit and then appears in his regular self as well. That's actually a great idea. Thanks, I was so excited that I woke up from a coma and had to try it out right away. But you didn't ask permission, think to ask permission or anything. Uh, whose intellect does that remind you of? Tony says, hey, this guy just solved traffic congestion. That's truly groundbreaking. Sure, but it also caused a lot of chaos, and I almost got killed again. Don't you see what this is going to do? Uh, Patsy, you're welcome. What else do you want from me? How about some foresight? The world doesn't instantly become a better place just because we all now think like you do. Iron Man suits up again and says, Even with the incredible capacities of my mind, you whimper with small-minded doubt. I will fix this entire world. Just watch me. <laughs> you know who you remind me of now? Korvac. And later on, uh, Hellcat is saying <clears throat> to someone off screen, I appreciate you coming. The world's suddenly very short on geniuses who don't think exactly like him. I'm sure you understand why I don't feel good about this, but I'm fairly certain a cosmic Iron Man is a really bad idea for everyone, especially Tony Stark himself. I hate that I'm saying this, but I and Tony need your help. It's a shame when so much power is wasted on one with such limited vision as Stark. I don't want to hurt him. I want to save him. I make no promises or guarantees, only that I will demote this iron god back to, down to an iron man, one way or another, says Dr. Doom. Yes. Also looking forward to this. Uh, Doom, definitely someone who's had a lot of experience trying to harness the cosmic power. 
that Tony is wielding right now, uh, the Power Cosmic, uh, a huge history that he has with it. Uh, Patsy asking him is like, you know, well, I have to make the deal with the devil right now. And, well, this is how it is. And Doom has always been a good foil for Tony. Uh, really ever since, uh, was it Iron Man 149 and 150? Was it 249 and 250? Where they go back to Camelot, uh, time traveling together. Oh, what a great story. Really looking forward to what uh, Cantwell has next for in store for Tony. Excellent issue here. So we're going to add a new comic tonight to uh, the podcast. This is Silver Surfer Rebirth, issue one, Marvels. This is written by Ron Mars, drawn by Ron Lim, Don Ho, Israel Silva, and Joe Sabino. So uh, we start with a Kree warship, uh, destroyer Kardev, is investigating a black hole, but unfortunately they're about to be sucked into it. As Genus Vell appears. Now, Genus Vell is one of the many Captain Marvels uh, going around. He's also supposed to be dead. Uh, I can't remember if he came back to life somehow recently. <laughs> I mean, the cosmic stuff, who who can keep track of it all sometimes? He's now going by the name Legacy. And he's trying to push the ship back. He's saying, I'll follow my father's footsteps. I'll be a hero just like him. Great plan until they, you realize they don't give you a handbook with, as he sees the Silver Surfer appear, Says, allay your fears, Genisvel. The Silver Surfer comes to your aid. So what? You just happen to be passing by? Very little is unknown to my cosmic senses. Cosmic senses, right. It'd be really good if your cosmic senses had some ideas to keep us from swirling down the cosmic drain. Get to a safe distance, Genisvel. Only have to tell me once. I wield the power cosmic, along with Tony Stark. <laughs> Nothing is beyond me. This behemoth can be pulled back from the event horizon. Its motion can be arrested without tearing it apart. These things I can do, for I am the Silver Surfer. And the ship is then uh, put back on course, away from the black hole. And Genisvel asks, uh, You realize how crazy impressive that was, right? Not impressive, merely what had to be done. Well, you can downplay it all you want, but you just saved hundreds of lives. I honestly don't think I was up to it. It would have ended pretty badly, so thank you. This is the th sort of thing you do? Fly around and show up in the nick of time? It's what I've always done. I travel to spaceways and seek out where I am needed. I make amends for the deeds of my past, as there's a vision of Galactus behind him. And you, Genisvel, what purpose do you pursue? Just trying to do the job, you know. It's not like I had anybody to show me the ropes. And I have some big negabands to fill. My father is legendary, as there's a vision of Captain Marvel behind him. I'm trying to live up to his legacy, and I never even had the chance to meet him. What was he like? Selfless, disciplined, fearless, a military man, blessed with compassion, a true hero in every measure. Consider a visit to Earth. That world contains heroes aplenty, many of whom knew your father. I was marooned there for a time, after I rejected my service to Galactus and rebelled against my former master. My time on Earth taught me much of humanity and of serving the greater good. And suddenly this, like, almost like light glass appears out of nowhere, and they go through it. And on the other side is the Silver Surfer and Marvell. The original Captain Marvel, who surfaced, asks, how are you alive? I was just here with your son. And Captain Marvel says, are you unwell, surfer? I have no son. Turn your attention to the task at hand. The scroll war machine is on the move. What? Where are we? What, what is happening? Aladia, about to be crushed under the heel of a scroll invasion. I won't allow another innocent world to suffer the same fate of, as so many before it. Now, are you going to help me or just stand there gaping? I don't understand any of this. The Captain Marvel I knew perished long ago. I should not even be here. This is madness. But I fear I have little choice. And he's hit by a uh, scroll weapon. It says, fools, do you know who you trifle with? To me, my board. 
so that I can put in the, I can bring an end to this. Marvell, explain what transpires here. What is there to explain? You're here, I'm here, we're going to make these certain these invaders are not here. Believe me, I didn't survive cancer just to die at the hands of scrolls, confirming that this is an alternate timeline of some sort. Maybe someone was messing with history. Did you feel that? Something just arrived. They could both get blasted by something. Does your cosmic awareness not sense it? That was his doing. You! As he's hit by uh, a blow, and he is now seemingly dead, as Surfer has him in his arms. You lived again only to be slain? We get off screen. He is of no consequence. He was merely a shadow among shadows. Arise, Norn Rad, for Thanos of Titan has need of you. Wow. Um. Gotta say, really loving this issue. I've always been a Silver Surfer fan. You know, it's a shame he doesn't really have an ongoing. I don't know if this is a limited series or not. Probably is. Guessing by the title. So I'm looking forward to where the rest of this is going. I'm also a huge Captain Marvel fan. Uh, I grew up reading those comics, and his death by cancer was just one of those things, reading it as a kid, of like, but but he's a superhero. <laughs> that can't happen to superheroes. And it was just that really jarring moment of, well, it can happen to anyone, which was the intent of the original stories. Like, look, uh, cancer is so deadly and dangerous, like, even superheroes can be affected by it. And blew me away first time I read it, and I really really have loved him and i've loved that marvel has kept him dead for as long as they have it's been very respectful uh even though i would love to have him back at the same time it would feel like it's undoing everything so that seems to be the time messing messes here uh surfer teaming up with thanos i'm really gonna like so we'll see what happens from here and we're gonna move on from there uh to the x-men this is issue seven the secret origin of captain krakoa before that, we start with uh, Dr. Stasis, who is new to this series, uh, talking to his animal minions and making a toast for everything. And they're leaving New Jersey, you know, because horrible things just happen there. So we see uh, Cyclops and Emma after he has just been resurrected. She asks him, welcome back. Uh, she says, welcome back. He says, thank you. Was it, was it a good death? Are any of them? I don't know how I wake up already tired, but I should suit up and get back. The X-Men need me. Scott, you, you cannot possibly just return to the treehouse. What happened? Darling, it was very public. Uh, show me. I can't. I've avoided it, but the news hit like a bomb. I need to know, and I need to get back to the X-Men. And she then uh, sends a telepathic message. Mr. Carnation, would you please meet me in Forge's laboratory? Our nation has yet another emergency. So we see that uh, in response to Dr. Stasis' attack, the X-Men were there to a fight. Uh, Sync has now had the ability to uh, copy powers from far beyond where he is at, like even using Storm's powers from so far away. And that's a huge, huge deal. Could that possibly mean he's an Omega-level mutant? We shall see. Um... And in the midst of this, uh, one of the animal beasts uh, takes a baby, and Cyclops looks at him and says, Never. Now gently hand that baby over in. Uh, it says, Want the pup? Catch. And he throws it. Cyclops goes to save the child. And in the narration, we get saved the world every day. That's the job of the X-Men. And Cyclops, Cyclops would not fail, no matter the cost. And he hands the baby over, and then dies after he had been struck by one of the animal's claws. And... Uh, but before that, 
he is found by a paramedic who is seemingly Dr. Stasis and who then murders him in broad daylight. But since they saw everyone else saw him bending down, it looks like he was trying to help him. He says, oh, I'm sorry. There's nothing I could do for him. As Laura Wolverine then uh, goes to his side, sees there's no heartbeat and starts crying. And that's the story of how, in front of the world, the best X-Men fell and paved the way for the arrival of Captain Krakoa. And we start in the pre uh, not the present, but a little after that, at the Quiet Council with Forge saying, honestly, every X-Men should be rocking my new gear. And Cyclops says, I don't remember anything about the day. Uh, he's talking telepathically with Jean. Not surprising, but Yurik knew about Resurrection. Until he didn't. I'd like you to look back on my chat with Ben the other night. Oh, you don't think I erased Ben's memories, do No, as they're both looking at Emma. Just making sure, because... Because we may be in a two-front war. One with the Quiet Council, and of course, we have a much bigger body is playing a game with us. And they're ahead. And I'm pissed off. So, uh, there was speculation about how Cyclops would have died in such a public way. Well, that's pretty much a public way with a bunch of bio-mutant beasts attacking people. And then slashed by one of them protecting a child. So, him being resurrected so soon. Obviously, people are going to know about the resurrection tech uh, protocols. That's an effect. So, he needs to hide as Captain Kokoa. So, enough of that. I'm going to move on to two issues of the one for the X Lives of Wolverine, issue one, and the X Deaths of Wolverine, issue one. Um, was not expecting to pick this up, but when I read through them, I figured, you know what, I'll cover this too. These were a lot of fun. Uh, this is issue one of X Lives of Wolverine, Time to Live, written by Benjamin Percy, drawn by Joshua Cassara, uh, Frank Martin, and Corey Petit. So we start with some narration from uh, Logan. The watch is broken, and that's why I'm using it. A digital clock makes no sense to me. It sells the lie of a singular moment that don't exist, that's already gone. A proper watch lets you see the possibility of all time. That's the truth I know for more than a century of living. That's the reality of a world where I can step through a moonlit gate in, on, in Tokyo and onto a sun-washed beach in Rio. Times sideways and times forward, times backwards and upside down, as he gets uh, a message telepathically, says Logan. From Pre Professor X says it's time. So we flash back to Charles about to be born years ago as his dad goes outside seeing a potential intruder. But it's Wolverine. He says, hey, do you have a gun? What are you doing out here? What's going on? I said, do you have a gun? Fronting foxes or grouse or whatever the hell it is you do on the weekends? A gun. Uh, yes, of course. Then go get it as he is being attacked by this a mutant with an Omega... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Symbol on his face, on his uh, forehead. And his, uh, Charles' dad says, I don't understand what's happening. You don't need to. Just go. And keep your family alive as this gardener is now uh, using the powers of Omega Red. Uh, and Wolverine goes after him, but he gets snatched up by the tentacles. And we see Omega Red in the present uh, attacking, I think that's Gold Balls from behind Gold Ball. And he's looking... Uh, at the resurrection protocols for himself. And back in the past, uh, Professor Xavier's mom is about to give birth to him. And she has to do something wrong. She says, uh, at this moment, they've lost Cassandra Nova, which was Xavier's twin sister, who then melded with his mind as a psychic leech and caused the destruction of Genosha and the deaths of millions of mutants. So, and it's apparently showing up in, I think, in Marauders? 
next, which when that does come, I will be covering. I didn't cover the original Marauders uh, because I, I just wasn't in the mood for it. But now that it's gone on, I think I'd really want to. So that will be brought up as well. Uh, Wolverine sticks out his claws. As he's told by this a man possessed, try all you want. You can slow me down, but I will prove to be your greatest enemy of all time. So how are you doing this? How how are you even here? I would ask you the same. I wait. As his control over the garden is relieved, says, Please, what's happening? Don't hurt me. Uh, Xavier's father goes up, then shoots his butler, controlled by the Omega uh, delivery uh, system there. As the midwife is strangling her, he pulls the gun on her, and she manages to use her, her weird Omega Red Bone thing to attack him. Wolverine then appears to attack her. We get narration. Here's another way time don't make sense. I might be twice as old as the professor, but he's as close as I got to a father. Some people are older on the inside than on the outside, like they shoot up on clocks and swallow, shoot up clocks and swallow down worlds. Then there's Jeannie. Maybe nobody knows me better. Maybe nobody's ever loved me better. Every time my gut tells me I'm better off alone, my heart knows better. I guess the broken bits of us come together and form a kind of family. Charles is ready. Plug me in and hold on tight. As he is pushed backward through time, we see various moments in his history, him fighting the Incredible Hulk, uh, Silver Samurai, uh, him being uh, crucified on that giant X. Uh, the baby's about to come at this point, and we find it is uh, Charles Xavier. Uh, Omega Red, possessing the midwife, says, You've gone soft. Krakoa has made you weak. And he has run out his claws, but refused to use the middle one to kill her. says, get out of here. Get out of her. He says, kill me or I kill him. That's the only way. But uh, Charles's mother stands up and says, I don't know who you monsters are or what you want, but get the hell away from my baby. Get the hell out of my house if she has gotten the gun that her husband had. We move over to Moscow. Uh, they are in front of the Krakowin Gate. And Omega Red has come out and says, so this is how you welcome a comrade. And he says, I want to see him. Where is he? We get a voice off screen saying, that's enough. I knew you would come. Welcome to Russia, Arkady. Welcome home. As we see, uh, oh gosh, what is Colossus' brother's name? Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I need, I need his brother's name was, uh, uh, Mikhail. Mikhail Rasputin. Yes, that's him. Uh, so it, back in the past, uh, uh, Xavier's mother shoots Wolverine as, uh, his dad attacks of the Omega Red uh, variant from behind. Uh, Wolverine then picks up Charles uh, and to protect him, says, not this time, bub, and throws the midwife out. Says, it's all right, Chuck. I got you. As he holds baby Xavier in his hands. We can flash forward in time to where Wolverine is being attacked by Sabretooth in their uh, Weapon X days. I think that's Maverick as well. Yeah. Says, Wolverine says, I don't remember this. But Gene appears in his mind and says, The target is 25 miles south by southwest of here. You have to save Xavier. The clock is ticking. Which leads up to the next lives of Wolverine, I believe. But yeah, this was a time-hopping adventure that I wasn't expecting. And when I first read through this issue, it was like, man, do I really want to buy this? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm in. I'm in it to win it. <laughs> so we're going to move on from there. To the X Deaths of Wolverine issue one. Also, uh, this is Time to Die. This is also written by Benjamin Percy. This is drawn by Federico Vince Vincentini, uh, Dijo Lima, Frank Martin, and Corey Petit. So, in direct contrast uh, to being the main star, this is a surprise sequel. 
to Inferno, uh, we start with Moira and McTaggart, uh, on the run as Mystique is trying to kill her. So she's gone back all the way to Scotland. She flags down a man to let her drive. She beats him up, then takes his truck, saying, I won't be her lamb to slaughter. Of course, there are other gates. There are other ways. I can feel Mystique even now hunting. So we get to Ken Ross Estate. She says, there's a certain poetry to it, I suppose, sending me here. My end is my is my beginning. Everything about who I used to be is going, soon to be gone. But we're not about to just sit back and let them take a blade to our throats, are we? And she starts coughing. Maybe I caught a cold in the rain, or maybe not. She sees blood on her hand. And I've never needed to fear death. Maybe it's time for that to change. But what I feel growing inside me now is more like a hot rage. So we get days later. Uh, Black Tom Cassidy is at the Blobs Bar. It's at, uh, he's realized something's wrong with Krakoa. So he runs off to figure out what's happening. So have there have been earthquakes before. Of course there have, with Krakoa always changing. Hills rising and valleys deepening in a meadow where there wasn't one before, but not like this. This is different. This is big. Black Tom can feel it in his roots and nerves. A change, an intruder. But nothing fell from above or came from below, so how's that possible? But the bloody hell is this. Is this uh, green uh, form of, not like, moss and vegetation appears. And we flash over to Moira, who is in New York now at the McCarthy Medical Institute. And a uh, surprise, I guess, appearance again this time around it's Jane Foster the Valkyrie who says sorry to keep you waiting Moira how bad is it Dr. Foster uh, bad stage 4 yes I'd like to see the blood work the cancer has metastasized but I'm guessing you already knew that is there something you're looking for Krakoa what Krakoa can fix me right I want petals can you get me petals Moira there's a waiting list a mile long for Cohen medicine and you know petals can't cure cancer but they can slow it down and what I need right now is time I'm sorry it's okay I have been there I know firsthand what you're going through Jane of course having suffered through cancer before she became uh, Thor for that brief moment in time I didn't give up you shouldn't either are you going to explain what's going on I can't you came here asking for a favor and I'm happy to help in any way I can but I need to know more why are you coming to me instead of them? They think I'm already dead. Then won't they be happy to hear that's not the case? Not the ones who want me buried. What? Just forget about all that, okay? I can't explain it any better than this. I'm not I'm not one of them anymore, Jane. And as she's interrupted by a nurse, who is mystique in disguise, says that she'll take care of her. And Moira asks, whatever happened to kill no human? Listen to you, calling yourself a human. Just like that, you're no longer a mutant. Like Homo Superior was just a dirty shirt you could strip off and toss aside. I created all this. Your disgustingly perfect Krakoan society only exists because of me. My work, my lives, built this world. And this is how you thank me? If you really believed in our survival, you'd want this too. And they're both slashing back and forth at each other as Valkyrie appears. It says, go! And she then fights with Mystique. Time is what you wanted, wasn't it? Mystique says, stay out of this Valkyrie, tries to shoot Moira. Valkyrie says, I'll hold her off as long as I can. Moira jumps off. We flash over to Black Tom. Says, an egg? A tumor? What What are you doing here? What's this all about then? As he's then hit by three very familiar claws, but except there's something a little different about them. They look a little techno-organic, perhaps. So Moira then survived her fall, ran away, and she's being looked at by much people who in the present Wolverine book are... Uh, there's FBI, CIA, I can't remember, but they've been working 
kind of against Logan at this point in time. And uh, she's made it all the way to uh, New Jersey. She says, I don't have much time. If they found me at the hospital, they'll find me here. My face is a bullseye. I was invisible in the no place biome. I'll find a way to hide again. She then changes in the bathroom, uh, cuts her hair, dyes it blonde. We go over to Moira's no place, where it seems that the cyber Logan is getting her scent, possibly. Or maybe this is someone else. I could be anyone, but so could Mystique. Uh, she is then accosted by CIA agents to try and take her down. But she manages to disarm some of them, run away, uh, because she knows they want her in a cell to uh, investigate her. But in the present, we didn't see what we saw in Lives of Wolverine. Wolverine down on the table, uh, Professor X and Jean Grey looking down at him. Uh, Jean then responds to something, that's impossible. Professor Professor I says, Jean, Jean, what's wrong? But you're, Logan, I don't understand. Is that you? And we get the techno-organic Logan saying, I'm no one. I was never here. So is this a Logan from a different timeline who has been possessed by the phalanx? Uh, is this someone, was it the sixth life of Moira where the machines were about to take over? And this is the end result of that? Uh, who knows? I'm very excited about these. This is new. It, Like I said, I wasn't expecting a direct follow-up to Inferno. Uh, this is great. Uh, loving these two books. I'm so glad I decided to discuss them. because It helped me understand them a lot better. You know, the third time around reading them. So we'll go on to our final uh, issue of the night because uh, we'll be saving um, <clears throat> Tower of God and uh, Tomb Raider King for later. Uh, had some issues there with uploading them correctly. The websites were down. Uh, Webtoon was just giving me problems. So that's that. Uh, so we are on uh, Devil's Reign, issue three. Uh, this is written by Chip Zdarsky, uh, drawn by Marco Chiquetto, Marcio Menez, and Clayton Coles. So we start with Ben in custody with his mask off, being asked by the cops, like, uh, I'm only going to ask one more time, what's your name? And he says, J Johnny Spider-Man. <laughs> so uh, the main cop in charge says, because uh, some are bleeding hearts here. Think this guy's a hero and won't process him. Me? I blame the media, like our ex-mayor, J. Jonah Jameson, with this pro-Spidey bull. Maybe he doesn't have a real name. Maybe running around in this funny suit shooting people with sticky string is all he does. Maybe he's just a loser who thinks we can, he can do our jobs better than we can. Some joker who doesn't have anyone to answer to. Doesn't he have Doesn't have any of our training. <laughs> Did you train this tough guy when people can't fight back? Because clearly you're top of your class and smashes Ben on the table. As uh, the Thing and the Human Torch have appeared in the police station, saying, and the Thing says, I know that a bunch of you don't agree with the garbage the mayor has handed down. I also know you still have jobs to do. But me and Matchstick here are going to do what's right and get our friend, a guy who saved your lives over and over. Which, by the way, is very evident to me that this was originally written for Peter. Because um, obviously he has way more of a history with the Fantastic Four than Ben did. I can't think of any times where they interacted. I'm sure there were. And maybe in like that brief time when he was in Marvel Team-Up. Uh, in the, the second volume, maybe. Or maybe there was something in the main magazine. I, I, I can't remember. But it's super obvious they're going for Peter, but it was rewritten to be Ben. So, uh, the Human Torch melts through the door, 
says, hey, sorry about the door. I can't turn off the fire these days, which, once again, great continuity by Zdarsky. And thinks this, and I'm sorry about the wall. We're here for a slightly annoying superhero. Ben says, slightly? Man, I must look real rough if you're taking it that easy on me. They didn't take Ben out. Thinks says, where, did, where to now? Please say the hospital. Oh, this is Ben. Uh, ben Riley, not Ben Grimm. Uh, Whom Torch says, sorry, bud. We'll fix you up, though. Don't worry. Thinks says, everyone's on the lam, kid. Like it or not, we're all criminals now. He wonders, says, well, almost all of us. We get Luke Cage uh, starting up his campaign speeches. Says, wasn't an easy decision, but I look at the city, which has been saved countless times by its superheroes, by my friends, and I just can't stand by anymore while our mayor tries to punish them, tries to make you less safe. So I can keep you living in fear. That's what this is all about. Making a city scared and tricking us into thinking he's the only one who can save it. Well, unlike Wilson Fisk, I've actually saved lives. And I'll save this city from the kingpin of crime. I'm Luke Cage, and I'm running to be your next mayor. Uh, Mr. Cage, Mayor Fisk says that superheroes simply create supervillains. Comment on, uh, with the escalation from Kamala's Law to the New Powers Act, are you not a wanted man? How can you run? And then uh, Foggy then comes up to take the heat for him uh, for the press release. And uh, we did move on to uh, uh, Kirsten, who is talking to Sue in prison, says, We don't have a trial date yet, but the Myrmidon is adding an assault charge to both you and your husband, Miss Storm. It's just Sue, Sue, Kirsten, and this is preposterous. Reed and I were defending ourselves. It was clearly a vendetta. Getting Fisk out of the mayor's seat will go a long way to overturning this, but I'm more worried about the national sentiment. People across America generally view superheroes and supervillains as a New York problem. And polls suggest that they are worried New York is going to push them into their backyards, which would lead to a federal law. Oh, we can't handle another superhuman registration act. We need to stop this before it gets bigger. And the guard says, all right, time's up. So sorry, Suter, being overly strict with how long. It's okay, Kirsten. I think we're done here, as it seems that she has been slipped something. Uh, flash drive of some sort? No, no, uh, it's actually a paperclip. Uh, and power, uh, power man. Different person. A purple man is talking to Fisk. Says, so this is your grand plan. Use my powers to brainwash the voters to elect you. Seems like a small move. Even for you, Wilson. Sometimes small moves win wars. This is beyond an election, Zebediah. This is about a new day, where men like me finally have the freedom to rule, and those who would stand in our way will be the scurrying criminals. Nah, this is more, this is more than that. This is about your Achilles. This is about Daredevil. He's got you riled up. He is a tick, burrowed in. But there's something else to him. He's done something to me. I knew who he was, who he really was, but now it's gone. Or buried in a fog deep in your head? How do you... I know because I feel it too. But I feel it because it's if I use my own power against myself. Wait, are you telling me you did this? No, but it's my power. It's familiar, but diluted. It's my children. Of course. Hey, where are you... As in the context, uh, Dr. Octo Octopus says, Fisk, I told you I'm busy. Uh, Zebediah has children who share his powers. Theoretically, if we were to gather them, would they amplify the power of the psychoprism? Undoubtedly. Excellent. I need you to lock on to their power signature and find... Not so fast, Fisk. I'm not going to round up out to round up children. Our deal is concluded. But I am willing to update the psychoprism once you have the subjects. Fine, I'll gather them. I hope whatever is occupying your time at Richard's lab is worth disappointing me. <laughs> As uh, Ghost Ox says, is there a problem? Uh, Doc Ox says, nothing I can't handle. Uh, Fisk is obsessed, and that obsession is the perfect distraction. Wolverine Ox asks, when are we going to see some proper action, Otto? Soon, Otto. I brought you all here because we share a dream and have suffered similar setbacks. 
Each of you inhabited a hero from your universe, each with dreams of showing the world you could be the greatest heroes, unafraid to make the hard decisions. And in each world, you were hunted and attacked and lost everything. But together, we can truly be superior. We will show everyone that the world will no longer be run by small-minded men. So we go back to underneath the Avengers Mansion. Uh, Captain America is saying, Captain Marvel is off-planet, so is Thor. And Miles says, even if they were here, what could they do? Smash the legal system with a hammer? Shouldn't we be thinking of how to legitimately stop Fisk? And Daredevil says, we'll need physical power to put off being taken in. As for legally, that's what Luke's play is about. Luke says, sure, but their first polls aren't looking good. Has Fisk actually scared everyone into voting for him? Jessica says, it doesn't surprise me. They voted for him once. Why not again? And She-Hulk says, I mean, he does have some good points. The act is zero tolerance. It'll push villains into hiding and remove us as targets. The devil says, uh, Jen, are you seriously? What are you even saying? I just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. We can't. And Jessica holds her hand and says, wait, this is, this, this is the purple man. Luke says, Zippin' High Kilgrave, are you? I feel it. It's subtle, but I know it too well. Fisk is, Fisk is using his powers somehow, influencing us. Daredevil, Daredevil says, well then, this isn't a matter of legality or democracy anymore. He's violating an entire city. We need to take him down by any means necessary. I don't, we need to be certain, Cap says. If we're wrong, I know Fisk, he's doing this. We head out tonight to remove him from office, with or without you. We see the purple children. Uh, going out in their everyday lives, they're found by this uh, older lady who then takes them safely somewhere else without them using their powers. They discuss that they're going to potentially kill their father. So the group is now infiltrating uh, Fisk Hall, which was recently damaged in the Devil's Dream Winter Soldier issue, which was fun, but I didn't feel like covering it on the podcast. Uh, so Cap asks, after we get to Fisk, what then? She-Hulk says, we hold him until we can get evidence of the purple man's involvement. And if that doesn't work... We dump him on a deserted island where he can't do any harm, Daredevil says. Miles says, that's... No, we're not just disappearing the mayor, even if he is. Kid, we're criminals. Our entire vigilante situation is that we sometimes have to go to places where others can't. Wait, something's about to... And we get the Hulk saying, smash! And Cap says, that's new. Daredevil says, hold on, there's more on the... As is uh, then attacked by uh, Wolverine Knox. says, ah, excellent, Captain America. I've killed one of those before. Ghost Rider Ox says, and here we have a true center. More than anyone knows. Which, great foreshadowing, by the way, of what's about to happen. Uh, and Iron Man is uh, trying to blast him with his repulsor rays. Says, stay, stay away. I did what you asked, which is confusingly out of character for him. I wonder why that is. And I wonder why I didn't think of this in the first place when it's revealed later on. Uh, he's taken out of the fight. And uh, Ox says, uh, planning a midnight visit to our esteemed mayor. Great minds, I suppose. I wasn't expecting company, but I'm sure at the very least it's garnered Fisk's attention. And Miles says, Octavius, are you telling me you're fine taking orders from Fisk? On the contrary, I was going to steal the mayor's seat out from under him. But you had to dismiss my proxy candidate in favor of Harlem's hero, as we reveal is that the chameleon has been underneath Tony's mask and armor this entire time, which blew my mind when I read it. It was like, no wonder he was acting so out of character. And no wonder he was pushing for it so hard. It's so smart. I can't believe I didn't think of that as an option. <laughs> I thought, oh, could Sadowski really be writing Tony that poorly after all he's written the other characters really well? Was I willing to think that? I was. And I was dead wrong. So I'm apologizing right here and now. This is a great reveal. Um, and Ock is now sending some of his Ock bots against there. Says that I'll have to settle for saving it. 
Captain America says, fall back, Avengers. Devil says, no, we can't let Fisk get away. But Miles takes him by the hand and says, we're dying here. We need to regroup, live to fight another day. Uh, so we can see uh, Foggy returning to his office as he is then beaten uh, by uh, Fisk Stugs. He says, you know, that you're real loud. Our boss don't like that. Things, you're better off never talking again. So is Foggy dead? Uh, probably not. Just beaten into submission. Wow. Um, and if I don't praise Zdarsky enough, then I, I need to do it more. This man. This champion. Wow. Devil's reign has been so good. His Daredevil run has been amazing. I love every minute of this. This is just excellent. Oh my gosh. And that'll be the end of the podcast for tonight. So uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we get the Starving Writers Guild. We can be found at starvingwritersguild.com. We are writers helping other writers to help publish their own work. Uh, you can also find our work on Amazon.com. We are MC Ashley. Uh, Barbara, oh gosh, <laughs> Barbara Page. I forgot her last name for a moment, and I panicked. <laughs> and uh, John Transylvania. Uh, once again, you can find our stuff on starvingwritersguild.com as well as Amazon. So, uh, please, if you would feel free to do so, leave us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice, uh, whether that be Apple or Spotify at the moment. Uh, looking at expanding to other ones later on, we shall see. Uh, we can still follow us on Twitter at the Starving Writers Guild Podcast. I'm trying to reach out there as well. I've had a lot of fun interaction with some people online. That's been a lot of good fun. Now, uh, other than that, until next time, see ya.